We come before thy throne of grace every Sunday and hopefully every day to seek your face, to seek your wisdom, your guidance, to seek your forgiveness, to seek your comfort and strength, and to seek you the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would be with us as we have already heard of the ailments and the difficulties of this life. Where can we go but unto thee when thou hast the words of eternal life? We pray for your presence both this morning and this afternoon. And we pray that you would be with us and bless us. And may we all go home different people in a better way. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Having uh, already mentioned that we need to thank the Lord as we sung even in the first song to open the service. I'd like to turn, with the Lord's help, to a very well-known chapter and verse in First Thessalonians, chapter five. First Thessalonians, chapter five. I'd like to start reading from verse fourteen. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray, without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I have read up to and including verse 18, and may the Lord bless the reading of the word. <clears throat> Let's kneel to pray. Oh, dear Father in heaven, as we bow before thee this day, together with our loved ones, we want to give thanks, give praise. Dear Father, there is so much to be thankful for. We look around and outside of us and in the faces of others, even the, just the, the warmth of this building, the, the food that we had this morning, the, the beds that we slept in, Dear Father, there are many physical blessings that we could, we could thank Thee for, and we do. As the giver of them, we thank Thee, dear Father. We give Thee praise for providing richly for all men upon the face of this earth. Dear Father, and yet at the same time we know that Thy blessings go far deeper than just the physical and, and the outer man. We thank Thee for Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for the Savior of our soul. 
Dear Father, we thank thee for sending him to us, for us. Where would we be, dear Father? We would be lost forever without him. Dear Lord, this day that we commonly call the Lord's Day, this Sunday, we want to give thee thanks, as we were reminded already in this morning, to give thanks every day, to, to approach thy throne every day, to, to lift thee up every day. This is the will of the Father. This is thy will for us, dear Father, and it is good. It's perfect. We see it, dear Father. Oh, but we are frail and we often forget. So, dear Father, this morning we also ask for forgiveness. We confess our faults before thee. The many times we haven't been thankful, we've been short-sighted. We've, even now, as, as we think of the difficulties that this life brings, the, the, the effects of sin that are upon the whole face of this world, and, and the pain and the suffering, and those that are going hungry, we don't wish to gloss over any of that, dear Father. And we wish to pray through the Spirit, Help us to be thankful even in these things. Knowing there is a God behind and above all of this, a God who will one day make all things right, a God who is testing and refining his children, a God who is calling the lost through all of these things, through suffering and through pleasure. Dear Father, this day there are many needs we, we are already aware of in this morning hour, and we are mindful of Sister Christine in the hospital. We pray for her. We thank thee for her long life. We thank thee for her, thy faithfulness to her and her willingness to share what she has learned over her life. And, and dear Father, we pray that thou wouldst help her, not only physically, but now in, 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 at this moment within her spirit. Dear Father, help her to, to see thy purposes and to see thy character and thy goodness and not to... Just look at the situation, but to look beyond it. We pray for Brother Edmund, too, this morning hour. We pray for healing for him, restoration to us. We thank thee for him, dear Father, and for thy work in his life and how it has blessed us. Dear Father, there are so many things we could think of for each one, dear Father, and we realize ultimately it's thy goodness. That's why we give thee thanks. It's thy goodness working in the lives of, of our loved ones that has blessed us. There are many others. We, we pray for Sister Olga Ordov. We pray for Sister Olga Vukov. We pray for those that have been suffering with illness now for a while and, and are worried about the prognosis and the long-term prospects, the questions that they have regarding health care and all these other things, dear Father. Thou dost know each one of these things, and we pray that they would also be able to give thanks in these difficulties. Dear Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for their lives, their hearts, their minds. Oh Lord, preserve them. We know the wicked one, he wants to destroy, he wants to pluck down, he wants to, to inflict and make us suffer and, and carry things that we ought not carry. And thou hast said that, that we should have the mind of little children and come as, as little children into thy kingdom. We pray, dear Father, preserve our children. Help us to enter, uh, to, to teach them and to, to raise them in a way that pleases thee. Dear Father, we pray for those that are suffering with the loss of loved ones. 
We pray to you, too, dear Father, that they would also, even in this difficulty, be able to be thankful for thy goodness in the, in the life of their loved ones that they're missing at this moment. Comfort them, dear Father. Strengthen them and uphold them. Dear Father, we pray for our church. Lord, help us. Rain thy blessings upon us in, in the way that we need it, dear Father. We often think we know what we need, but we really don't. We confess that now too, dear Father. We don't even know what we need as a church other than that we need thee. We need the, the, the fervent outpouring of thy spirit, the love to increase, all the things that thy word says. And, and dear Father, open our eyes to, to see how this works and how it ought to work and how we ought to uh, let thee do thy work. Dear Father, we thank thee for all these things. We pray for the brother that, that is to meditate on this scripture we've read now. We pray for his needs to be met first and that he would be then a, a faithful minister of this gospel, this wonderful treasure that we have, for which we do give thee thanks, dear Father. We are overwhelmed with the goodness through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Pray, amen. I'm sure many of us, when we were younger, we had a children's Bible with beautiful pictures on the cover, and then as you went through the more notable stories, you flipped the pages, and there's beautiful drawings and sketches and paintings, and, and uh, <clears throat> perhaps one of those sketches was at the time of the feasts, when Israel would come into the temple, all the males above 20 would come to the temple, the families, and they'd come over from long distances. And there'd be a procession coming over the Mount of Olives as they traveled from the north down to the south. And, and uh, it sort of brought visions of that, images to me when we were there just recently in Israel, which was a time of relative peace when we were there. And there's a path where you come over the Mount of Olives and as soon as you come over the, the brow and they open up to you, you see the, the old Jerusalem, the old city, yet 30 or 40 feet above the, exist, the, the previous historical level when Christ was here. And it looks just like another world with the old buildings, the, um, the image of the, the, the valleys, the Tyrophonian, the Kedron, and the Gihon Valley on the other side, or the, uh, where, the, where the valley or where they used to dump their garbage, if you will, at the south end of... of um, the city and the images were of joyful people some of these families that would come with children would be they'd be dancing and flowers and and 
It was just a time of excitement to come to this holy city. You know, when our group of 35 back in May uh, was there and we had already toured all of Galilee and the, all the things that we had already seen, the hills, the valleys, the rivers, the mountains, beautiful Mount Hermon, snow-peaked. It just brings back a lot of memories from Sunday school when we used to sing, Behold, how good and pleasant for brethren all to, to be, like children of the Father, to dwell in unity. As dew from Herbert cometh, down on Zion's mountain down, so shall God's choicest blessings his children have a crown. And as we came with a bus entering Jerusalem now, coming from Jericho, and the, 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 the um, driver, or the, I think it was the driver, his name was Ezhezi, I think it was, he turns on the song, The Holy City. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, lift up your voice and sing, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the King. I have memories of us singing in Serbian, you got them in English too, and in German. I, I think most of them came from the German. We talked about... We were glad when they said unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's taken from a psalm, of course. And it's a time that you could give thanks to God. You could pour out your heart. You could shout to the Lord, if you will, in rejoicing the shouts of your heart that come to, to exalt the King of peace, the King of kings. So when we think of maybe Thanksgiving, these images of the good times, the old times, the times of peace, the times when we are prospering, the times where, where we have such wonderful fellowship and nobody's bothering us, is a time when we give thanks. And we should. shouldn't stop us. But the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, only give thanks during the good times. Is that what he says? He says, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. My, my mind goes back to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean, always, for all things and in everything give thanks? You mean I'm supposed to thank God when I'm gravely ill? 
You mean I'm supposed to thank God if I have a child that is gravely ill or a child that has died? I think one thing for sure, it means that when we are going through our trial, that when we're going through our sad times, that we can turn to God to give him thanks for who he is and that he has everything under control. And though we don't have the answers, he does. And though we are frail and fickle, he is sovereign and Lord. And he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And if we think that this is only happening to us, everybody, everybody, every single one of us, whether we are rich or poor, whether we are Christians or not Christians, whether we are married or single, every single one of us, will go through all the phases of life. But it depends on which side of salvation you are on, on how you deal with that, how I deal with that. I want to take you to another chapter that talks about giving thanks, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, Paul, the apostle, he had a very rough life too. He thought it was smooth. And he had, thing, he had things under control. And he knew his God, and he's got all, every confidence in this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was loyal, he was zealous. He attended every feast. He attended every religious ceremony that, that was possible for him because he was zealous more than any of them, he said. More than they all. Yet he did it in ignorance. And then when he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, when he was threatening to send more, more Christians to, to prison and more Christians perhaps to their deaths, he met the Lord. And things just changed around. And he said those things that he thought were life to him became death. When he realized the, the immensity of his sin against the Lord in Romans chapter 7. And then he... he, he <clears throat> about-faced, and all the energy and all the zeal and all the passion that he had, he now started seeking Christ. He now started uh, witnessing and laboring in the things that the Lord Jesus Christ had ordered him to do, commanded him to do. But it wasn't a path of roses. If you read through the book of Corinthians 2 Corinthians alone, you will find about 15 times he mentions suffer or suffered. He mentions afflictions. He, he mentions troubles. He mentions tribulations. He mentions all the things that 
One would think that when you become a Christian, you have no more of. Not only does he have uh, these difficulties with those that are without, he says, those that were not Christians, those that were Jews and the enemies of the cross, but he had them within. He said he came unto them fightings without and fears within. And in chapter 10 and 11, he, he goes through the defense, if you will, of his apostleship and tells them how many times he was beaten with a rod, how many times he was stoned. He was in prison often. And, and how many times he sh suffered shipwreck. And yet, and yet he came out victorious. This is the culmination of the first two chapters of first Corinthians of Second Corinthians. <clears throat> In at the end of <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter two, he even he, he he was even amidst of even still defending himself against the Corinthian church, why he didn't come to them like he promised he would come. They had false teachers coming in, they had difficulties, their problem, where are you, Paul? How are we going to resolve this? You said you would come. And he spent almost a half a chapter to a chapter on, on just that, defending why he didn't come. The bottom line was, God didn't want him to come until that point. When God wanted him to come, he would come. But he had the desire and the hope to come. But at the end of that second chapter, he says this. I had no, verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Even though uh, he had all these other macro projects to do, he, he was still concerned about Titus, his brother. Where is he? I thought I'd left him in, in another place. Where is he now? And he had no peace until he found him. And you'll see that in 2 second, in second, uh, Corinthians, it's Titus that refreshed him in chapter 7. He did find him. But then he says, <clears throat> verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. Despite all these hardships, Despite all the people that were opposing him and criticizing and accusing him, both physically and verbally, he said, But now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh <clears throat> manifest, reveals the savor, the aroma the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. So, the obvious question to us, beloved, is it's easy to be thankful when you get what you want. It's easy to be thankful when things are going well. But how are we how thankful are we when things aren't going well? And I would venture to say that's a significant portion of our lives. How do we deal with it? 
slight uh, detour here. If we go to the end of chapter <clears throat> 15 in the first letter to the Corinthians. He talks about <clears throat> the, the greatness of God's plan of salvation. The greatness of the history of the world and, and the culmination of the earth and the world as we know it to be. He talks about Christ being the first fruits from the dead because sin came by man. Death came because of that. And because of the sin that came through Adam, the first Adam, death came. But the second Adam, the last Adam, came the resurrection from the dead. And eventually, as we uh, discussed a couple of weeks ago from this very chapter, it, or was it last week, he says that everything will culminate where the end comes when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And then he goes on and says what the resurrection is going to be like and how glorious it is. But then he says in the last few verses, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory, and he's talking about an overcoming, a triumph of a final triumph of God against his enemies, of his work on the cross against sin that penetrated and went down from Adam to Moses. And he says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? How can you be a victor here, grave? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word in the Greek is niko. Niko, Nike. Which they named after the mythological goddess who was conquering in every aspect of life whether it's art, whether it's athletes, whether it's culture, whatever, she was the victor. And we know that's a myth. But we do know and believe that Jesus Christ is real. And what he promised here, that there will be a victory, will surely come to pass. And we thank God for that. One of the first things that we need to thank God for is our salvation. That we have been translated out of darkness into his marvelous light, as he says in Colossians. 
that we have been saved from eternal destruction, from eternal separation from God. Isn't that enough to be thankful for? Go back to 2 Corinthians 2. He gives you a different word. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. You've seen the Arc de Triomphe in Paris? If you've been there? It was a monument that was put up showing how they had victory in the war. There was another arch of Titus in Rome. It was a monument put up by the Romans to show how they had pillaged Jerusalem, how they had led captive, and how they have taken back trophies and, and, and their spoils back to Rome and paraded it in front of the people. If you look at this verse in other translations, like the ESV, for example, it says that Christ was leading the procession, the triumphant procession, when he had overcome Satan, overcome the world, overcome sin, overcome death. And I thought, maybe that's somebody's own interpretation. Then I looked up the word, and I can't even pronounce it, but you can look up for yourself, Strong's Concordance, that word triumph. And it comes from a, another word which talks about a shout of acclamation. When they were coming through the, the, with the spoils of their conquest, they would lead. And the first people in line would be the Senate and all the politicians that go at the beginning of this big parade. Perhaps because they were paying for it. And then you, you've got others like the priests with their censers and their sweet-smelling aroma from the incense that were burning. The Roman priests, they had cat, a, a bullock, a white, a white bull that they were leading through for a sacrifice to celebrate to their gods the victory that they got. And then came the spoils. If they captured anything, you see on, a, on the Arch of Titus, you would see them bringing the candelabra from Jerusalem. It's on that arch. It was a real event when they plundered the temple in Jerusalem. And then you'd get the prisoners that they, captive, they, 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 they captured and they'd come bond, bound in chains, following the procession, going towards their doom. Within a short time they were likely executed. And then there's maybe one or two other little groups, but at the end was the general. The general, he's the one that was the leader for Rome. And he gets this loud acclamation. This is the picture. We had this ex exposition a few weeks ago, whenever it was that Brother uh, Eric was going through 2 Corinthians. But what captured me was this. 
For we, verse 15, for we, we Christians, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. We are a sweet smell unto Christ. In them that are saved, the sweet aroma is only for those that are Christ that are saved. But there are another aroma to those that perish. Who are the ones that were perishing? The captives, the slaves, the ones that were going to die. The same smell that was sweet to the victor became the stench of death to those that knew that they were doomed. That's what he says. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, we are the aroma of death unto death, and to the other the aroma of life unto life. The same ark that saved Noah and his family was, this, was that same water that saved them in that ark was the same water that destroyed the rest of the world. Because those that refused to join Noah in the ark were destroyed. And the picture of that is given to you in the epistles to Peter. Where he talked about Therefore we are saved by baptism. And it's not the water that cleanses us from, from physical filth. But that cleanses us from our sins. And he's saying the same sweet smelling odour or aroma should I say. Is, 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 is a stench to those that are not saved. To those that are not Christ. Will they be thankful for that? Of course they won't. They were bound. They were heading towards your execution. But Paul says in verse 15, For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved. That's what we need to be thankful for. First and foremost, that we are his. And no matter what happens after that, what is an eternity in the light of a few years, even 99 or 100? What is an eternity when you think about that? Being thankful for what God has offered us is the difference between life and death. If you look at the... Um, very early fathers, the first father and mother of this world, Adam and Eve. You remember what God told them to do? God said, you can eat of any fruit. I've made this beautiful paradise. I've given you to be the lords over all the animals that I've created. You have this whole garden to yourself with beautiful, unspoiled fruit. Just don't touch that one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So what happens? Eve comes along the next day, maybe, and along comes the devil. Did God really say? Did he really say? God said, 
Don't eat of it. Don't eat of that tree. You can have everything else, but don't eat of that tree. So what happened? Eve took it. You wonder why? Why? It says there because it was good to look upon. It looked like it could make you wise and so forth. And I'm sure maybe there were other things that the devil told her. We don't know. We just know these main things that the devil told her. But she fell for it. If you look at a high level view of this, was God was showing his benevolence, his blessings, his goodness to Adam and Eve. And he said, I made the unit. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1 and, and, and other chapters that talk about the creation. I made all of this. And I made the, my very prime uh, uh, being on this earth, the crown of my creation, man. I made him. And woman from him. And I gave them everything because I wanted to bless them. I wanted to show my goodness. I wanted to show my benevolence, my magnanimous nature to them. But Eve said, you know what? I'm not content with that. In her mind, she said, I'm thinking this is what happened. I'm not satisfied with that. I want more. You see it in the nature of our children. You see it in us. I don't want to pick on the children, but to show you that even in our innocent children, you see this coming through. I've told you the story several times probably. When I and I felt that way, not even thinking of this example. I thought, you know, the kids were playing so nice in the family room. I'm going to go out, I'm going to surprise them, and I'm going to give them three different types of chocolate. Whatever it was, I don't know what it was. Skittles, Smarties, Kit Kat, I don't know. I came into the living room, in the family room, and I threw it on the floor. I said, here, help yourselves. They were playing so nicely. And then within five minutes, they're fighting I want that one. But you had nothing before, but I want that one. If Eve had taken that attitude of gratitude and said, you know what? God has been so good to me. God loves me so much. And me and my dear husband that he gave me, the help meet for me. God, or for him, be the way. And God gave all this to us. And I shall be thankful and, 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 and have a spirit of gratitude. Instead, it wasn't good enough. And unthankfulness may have been at the root of her sin. You go to the next generation, go to Cain. You always wondered, why did God accept Abel's offering of the sheep or the, the animal and why, of his flock? And why did God 
reject not only his offering from Cain, but he rejected Cain. Why? When thinking about Adam and Eve, I thought, maybe it's the same attitude. Did Cain give God because he was so appreciative and thankful to God for what he had given him despite the sin of his parents? And he gave it to him grudgingly. Here it is. I've got to do it. But Abel, probably, because he was thankful who God was to him. Now, is that a part of the reason that we also have many of our failings, many of our sins we commit because we are not grateful, we are not thankful, we want something that he's got or we are envious or we are covetous or we have pride that one-upmanship and and so forth and there's the friction that happens between us behold how pleasant when brethren dwell in unity they're like the snow of Mount Hermon They're like the fragrance that came down Aaron's beard, the ointment, the beautiful fragrance. What kind of a fragrance do we leave? You know, when someone is unthankful to God, it's a stench in his nose. When we are not thankful, why did the ancient world get indicted in Romans chapter 1? Why did they why was that indictment upon them? Romans chapter 1. For herein is the righteousness of God revealed in verse 17. For from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth, who suppress the truth, who keep the truth down when it's bobbing its head up, because that which may be known of God is manifest. In them, for God has showed it to them. There is no question that they know that all about God and are aware of who God is. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even this eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. But became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened even more. Being thankful is just not another addition to our Christianity. Being thankful should permeate our lives. And I know every one of us at times are not thankful. I believe that with all my heart, that we are not thankful at times. When we complain, we're not thankful. When we murmur, we're not thankful. When we desire what somebody else wants, we're not thankful. When we gossip about other people, we're not thankful. When we keep things to ourselves and don't give to the poor, we're not thankful. Thankful. 
That's what it says here. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. How many people do you know that are feeble-minded? How many people do you know that have anxiety problems, depression, issues, stresses, family problems? Oh, we could be thankful that we don't have that problem, we don't have that. What are we doing to help those that do? Are we thankful for what God has given us, that he's given us a sound mind? That he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. How thankful are we for what God has given us? I know when I counsel with converts, I say, what did God do for you? He saved me. He forgave me for my sins. He died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood. He took the, the penalty of sin upon himself. He took the punishment of sin upon himself so that I wouldn't have to go through that eternal death. What can you do for it? I can't add anything to that. It's a gift of God. So I walk away. Is there something you can do in response to what Christ has done for you and for me. Oh, I can I can pray. That's good. I can come to church. That's good. But don't ask me to do anything that's outside of my comfort zone. Don't ask me to do anything that's going to cost me. Don't ask me to do anything. What did it cost Jesus? How grateful and thankful are we for what Jesus did for us? Like we heard last week, who was my neighbor? The young man, the young ruler, the lawyer wanted to justify himself in front of Jesus when he said, uh, Love your neighbor as yourself, in Luke chapter 10. Who is my neighbor? Tell me, who's my neighbor? And then he got the two people that dislike each other the most the Samaritan and the Jew. The Jew gets beaten up and robbed and left for dead. And along comes this despicable, disgusting Samaritan who comes after the Levi had walked by, after the priest had walked by, along comes this Samaritan. And he has compassion on him. And he bends down, he binds up his wounds, puts him on his own beast, takes him to the innkeeper, gives him money. Two pennies, whatever it was. And then says, if there's any more costs that he will incur, I will put that on my tab. Jesus is saying, you're the Jew, you're the Levite, you walk by that man. If you are grateful and thankful for the blessings that you get from God, don't just expect it on Sukkot, on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is what they had last week. Be thankful every day. In everything give thanks. 
by our actions, by our deeds, by the passion and compassion we have for others that do not have it as we. But ever follow that which is good among yourselves to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. May the Lord bless his word. My brother, please find a hymn. In everything give thanks. I'll be the first to admit that it's, it's a lot easier for me to give thanks when everything is, was mentioned in the prayer and in the sermon, when everything is going well, when all the faces around my table are smiling and happy, and I see God's blessing on my family. It's not so easy like it was last night when one of the children woke up with croup, and it sounds like they're choking to death, and he wasn't, thank the Lord, but does God want me to be thankful for that? That may be a bit of a stretch, to be thankful for that, but to be thankful in it, I think that's important, and that's the start, that's the, the turning point, I think, for each one of us, to be thankful in for the reasons we've heard this morning, the victory we have in Jesus Christ, the triumph over death, the so much we have to be thankful for Christ. And, and for me last night, that was a turning point too, to realize that God has this in his control. He has provided all things. He, he has the victory. Even when, my, when I see my little guy suffering, God is in control. That's the choice we have. Are we going to be thankful? In And you and I, we know that those that are thankful in, eventually they will be thankful for. One day, maybe not even on this earth, but one day we will all be thankful for. Even the bad things. We will look back and see the whole plan of our lives, everything laid out and say, God, you, everything... You did well. So our part is to be thankful in. And then God will do in us. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your spirit, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Be thankful in, brother and sister, and then you will see God working in you. With that, we commend you to God's care and keeping.